Well, depending on if you follow a calendar year or a fiscal year, I think I think we are uh, we're either two thirds or a third of the way through Q one. Like I, I know that the uh, the fiscal year that's offset by a month that starts in February is very popular. I you know maybe maybe if people know they can write me in. My only theory, other than people wanting to just like fuck everything up, my only theory, which I don't know if I've validated is that so that salespeople can have Christmas off and sales and finance people, right? Because the people who have to work at the end of the quarter, uh, I mean, primarily are the salespeople and the finance people, right? Because sales has got to make the sales and then finance has to start closing the books, right? So like, you know, if you end your Q4, which for, I'm sure many companies, not I'm definitely retail, definitely software. I'm sure many companies that is I don't know if I'm using this phrase properly, by order of magnitudes, the highest revenue uh, quarter that many companies have, it's sort of like, well, you know, uh, in the words of, uh, you ever see, what was it, Chip's favorite movie? Not favorite, but the uh, All the Real Girls, and there's that outtake. <laughs> there's that outtake with the guy asking his uh, his cousin why they never like got together, and she's like, I'm going to go tell grandma. And then just like just like for salespeople, if they end their, their Christmas on the calendar year afterwards, wasn't his name Bustass? Bustass is like, <laughs> Christmas is fucked. And like, so I feel like that's the situation that you're in unless you end it there. But anyways, I think that's the whole fiscal thing. Well, I was just gonna say, it sounds like, you know, the the fiscal years are like the, the time zones of enterprise sales. You know, it's like, mm. they're just fucked. There you go. <laughs> and, and so you're either a, a third or two thirds of the way th- through the first quarter. And, and my question that I would like y'all to discuss is so what should we be doing at this point in in the year like how do we i feel like we finally got to start doing the actual work and how do we bootstrap our into that how do we get into the the, the habit of, of doing that lots of questions there kote we'll try to try to get to the moss so i think you know man maybe the first one to, to to figure out is uh my understanding of why people change the physical calendar is in theory it is supposed to align with your industry. So if your industry has events and your customers uh, typically buy or sell at different times, that that is the reason people move around the physical year, right? Because that way you're sort of like mimicking the industry. Now, having said all that, I, I, I do think the other thing that I've read about this whole thing is um, the fact that like, it's just human nature. Like if all your goals are due at a certain time, like it's, yeah. uh, it's part of like procrastination. It's just like, if you pick any date as the end goal, you'll just work harder at to that end date. So that's just the, the idea of why sales um, well, at the end of the year, they just, Q4 is always the biggest thing because that's when the quotas end. And it doesn't matter if Q4 is in the middle of July or the middle of December. It's just, that's human nature. Do you agree, yeah, Matt? Yeah. Is, this, is this what you've observed? <laughs> well, especially once you start to go international, right? Then then you have to worry about like all the weird vagaries of, of like, um, you're not going to sell anything in Europe in August. Right. Yeah, that's they're, they're all taken off August. You're not going to sell anything in in uh, Australia in January because, you know, that's summer and they, they've all gone to the beach and uh, Lunar New Year, you know, shuts down uh, large parts of uh, uh, Asia, Southeast Asia. But uh, I don't know. Um, I, I, I'm more of a purist. I say keep it on the calendar and like it'll sort itself out. Um eventually <laughs> you know because because then, then you have to start worrying about like well if i'm tracking my industry then you have like government agencies that are like well we got to spend all of our money or we won't get our budget back next year and 
you know, mm-hmm. what calendar are they following? Are you now following their calendar? And now your Fed sales aren't synced up with your, you know, with your European sales. It's like just well, I think it's a great example. I think that's for sure. I think if you're <sighs> if you are selling to the any type of governmental agency, at least here in the US, like you probably want to be synced up. Like I would assume large defense contractors or government providers are always trying to sync up to the the United States government's calendar. I don't know if it's good or bad. Now I will say though, just for me, it's like, it feels like February. February is really when you want, like, I think that should be the end of the year. Cause everyone like went on vacation, <laughs> just, came, came back and like February is just like, I feel like February is kind of a boring month. It's kind of one, it's kind of short and two, it's like, okay, we had our big Christmas holiday. Everyone's back. It's like, let's just get some stuff done. Right. Rather than it be like the let's, kickoff. Let's close, next some deals. Year, yeah. close it out. Let's just close out the last year. Even better. I think is, you know, if you're just going to shift the whole quarter, just make it March one, right? Just, just, or sorry, well, I guess that would be what uh, April one, right? Like, you know, just really Q1 calendar year really should be Q4 of last year because it's like, okay, year's really ending, people. We need to get it done. So that's what I like. That's that's why I like the Q4. Man, it's just too complicated though, because then you, you know, and and then all your people are like, well, my taxes are due April fifteenth, and you know, oh, and the kids get out of school in the middle of April for spring break, and it's like, it never stops. Calendars are just a mess. I, I say we get rid of them. Today's show is sponsored by Strong DM. Are you still using SSH keys, RDP logins, and database credentials? Well, it's time to access your infrastructure like it's no longer 1999. StrongDM is the only modern infrastructure access platform. It creates a seamless, secure, and observable air gap between your staff and critical infrastructure that powers your company. With StrongDM, you can instantly revoke access to every database, Kubernetes cluster, or server with just a click. Automatically log every query, SSH, and kubectl command to know who did what, when, and where across your stack. Eliminate credentials from end-user workflows to deploy access that's zero trust and least privileged by default. Trusted by your peers at SoFi, Yext, and Chime, StrongDM is the only way to deploy secure access controls in a way folks love to use. But who believes in ad? Check out StrongDM for yourself with a no BS demo. I'm pretty sure that's an abbreviation for some cussing. Sign up at strongdm.com SDT. That's strongdm.com slash SDT. And of course, we thank StrongDM for sponsoring our show. Well, I thought there was a great article on everyone's favorite topic, uh, especially for this time of year when you're setting your OKRs, your MBOs, your uh, KPIs, KPIs, KPMGs. Yeah, your KPMGs, you know, whatever, whatever those numbers are. And that is, uh, uh, I forget the, the, the person's name, you know, I barely remember my own name. And it, it was all about, it was like, hey, everyone, let's get some real talk here. We really need to figure out metrics for DevOps, I mean, for dev- developer relations. We got to figure out how to measure them, all that kind of stuff. And then he proceeded, uh, I think it was a he, they, I, I'll, I'll, then they proceeded. Swix. Yeah, to just like I think I'm I'm still scrolling to uh, really just just go go at it, and I also I love the style where people actually publish the uh, their headers as markdown headers. It's a little like, is that a, now now I know Matt Ray, you have a yeah. you have a geology degree. I do. But I feel like you would know if that is a semiotic use of typography right there. Is that is there <laughs> is that some kind of like si- signaling going on by including? The double hash signs. Now that's another. Let, let me. I'm going to go just slightly deep on this. This is. <laughs> I feel I spent a lot of time thinking about this. Now in Markdown, there is no such thing as a title, right? 
that you use. There is only an H1. Now, well, yeah, single you, hash. Yeah. You may recall that starting in 1995, I would handwrite things in HTML. So I've thought a lot about H1 to, is it seven or eight? I haven't thought that much. I never wrote something long enough that I needed to go to that deep. Uh, and so like, I don't know, man. I used to be the kind of person who would be like, okay, if you're in Markdown, you use an H1 as the title of the piece. And then you immediately got to go to H2s because it's not the title of the piece. But in recent years, I'm realizing I've converted over to like, no, fuck that. Like, it's not my problem that Markdown doesn't have like a title. <laughs> and like, it doesn't make sense that like the, inside the context of the piece, the like a header one is like a major is like a chapter title is a head, heading of a section. And then, you know, so forth and so on. So how, I don't know. How much are you writing? I mean, are, are you writing your books in Markdown or what's going on here? Oh, why do you, you care so much? I wish I was. No, I just, I just think about it. What are you doing? Because <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I, hit up, I hit up the Markdown and uh, and my my blog and and it's you know, like the the whatever I'm getting from from Google or Hugo or hey Jekyll or whatever it is, I'm using the the GitHub pages and yeah. it's like it just slaps the title on there automatically. And then, like, I start with H1s. I guess, I guess you know, here's why... Single, here's, single pounds, because it's Markdown. It's here's, why it com- here's why it comes up, is because, you know, I use uh, Bear, the, and, it, and that's in Markdown, right? And so whenever okay. you start a Bear note, it puts, like, a, an H1, a single hash thing in there. Anyways, here, our, our friend goes with the H2s as the section headings at the, at the top. So that's fun. Anyways, I think, I think uh, it's a great overview uh, of, of various types of things uh, you might track. And it also is very like, you know, uh, uh, let me just say, I, you know, another thing I think about a lot, I think a lot of how we think about metrics nowadays in the software world is driven by a lot of people who have SASs, right? Who can actually collect the metrics, which is always a, a, an issue. Uh, with sorts of things. However, there is, and then there's also a lot of open source track, like metric tracking, which I'm sure when you say that in an open source world, it just makes them need to like change their pants because uh, they get all they get all out of whack. But like you know, you've got a lot of like thinking about uh, you know what is it the, uh, the applying the pirate metrics to the the open source stuff that um, what's her name like pre- presents about a lot in a, in a very nice way. But you know, to summarize that, I don't know. Tell me, tell me, Brandon, if I'm kind of summarizing these metrics. A lot of what you're measuring is basically in these metrics is, I mean, it's funnel stuff. You're trying to somehow measure the journey of a person, a developer or whatever, through the funnel of becoming, you know, uh, becoming a customer, basically, and, and kind of becoming part of your community and figuring out how to kind of uh, track the way that that stuff is going, uh, which, you know, seems fair. I think I think the only thing missing with some of these is, you know, and this is a problem with all developer relations metrics and kind of all metrics, well, not all metrics, but definitely like a lot of marketing metrics is like, sounds awesome. How are we going to get those numbers? <laughs> well, I think he does a good job. I think he actually kind of, you know, gives you a little bit of a roadmap in for everyone listening. Uh, we'll make this uh, his chart here, the podcast art for this section. So you can kind of see, I mean, I think a couple things he does is one, he does break out DevRel into three categories, sort of like are you a community yeah, builder, yeah. a content, uh-huh. or like kind of a product, and sort of he kind of goes into 
what each one of those means. But, you know, his North Star, I mean, I think, you know, I, you know, sometimes you, you hate when people just write a bunch of stuff and don't make rec- recommendations. But, you know, he comes right out and says, like, the North Star here is monthly active developers. So that's really what I think in this case he, he's advocating for. Yeah. That's what you measure. And then I thought he did a good job about saying at least putting an opinion in down and says, okay, if you're going to do that and you're focusing on content, you know, his metrics are newsletter subscribers, YouTube subscribers, Twitter followers, workshops huh. done, conference meetups, and then traffic plus SEO authority. So I think it's not a bad list. You know, we talked about a few weeks ago, yeah, I think yeah. uh, maybe even the, in the after show or something, what's the, what's the right thing to, to be doing? Like what's the right content for uh, the specific type of job? So I was a little surprised that it was newsletters, but like, yeah, I mean, I get it. Like if you can create a really compelling newsletter and you're getting a lot of subscribers, that's a pretty deep relationship. And that's something that um, would take well, a lot. And same thing with YouTube. I think, Kote, you've talked about this before, too. It's just like, if you want to be where the people are, you're on YouTube. So maybe it's, in retrospect, it's sort of clear that, at least for the content side, that's where you should be. Um, and then Twitter, of course, kind of out there as well. But I think, you know, what wasn't on here as much was just like the blog, right? The blog is usually the obligatory thing everyone's always talking mm. about. But I thought it was interesting that he was really trying to you know, promote subscribers as, as re- or follow as really the metrics that's most important for a community. So I think well, that, was, and, that was interesting. And the nice thing about newsletters is typically they're opt-in. <laughs> you know, as, as I get subscribed to newsletter after newsletter automatically. Um, but you can click, you can track uh, opens. You know, usually there's the the pixel, the tracking pixel. And so you can see like what kind of penetration you get and how many people actually read your newsletter. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they're, I, th- I think I was on some newsletter that uh, I filtered off to a folder and MailChimp after a while just unsubscribed me because I wasn't open enough. And <laughs> and so like, you know, uh, I'm, I'm sure that that counted, you know, they're tracking, you know, MailChimp at least was counting that kind of stuff. But it's it is a good metric because, you know, you get a you get a feel for for what content is working. And then, you know, if you go back into your newsletter and, you know, wrap all your links with you know the right kind of uh uh, metadata or whatever, you know, you can, you can then get, you know, click throughs and, and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, it's, you know, very, yeah. very, uh, very, very tangible. Like, yeah. next now he, he did not write this, but I, I'm going to, I'm going to say this, that I think the newsletter that you need to create though is, especially for companies, like you need to, I think it's mostly best if you attribute it to like a person or maybe just a couple people. So it really takes on a voice. So this is something that I think is always hard in companies is that, you know, you know, if you're going to invest in, you know, dev rel, part of that is investing in someone's brand. Maybe they bring a personal brand to the community or to their job. But at the same time, I do think these newsletters do a lot better if they aren't just, you know, sort of the obligatory coming from the company and has the big company logo on it and stuff like that. But a newsletter like that you feel like is written by a specific person. And then it's like, even if behind the the scenes, there's a lot of editing that's going on. And I'm not saying someone can't get some help, but it's something that coming from someone is like, those are the ones that I tend to read a lot more. Um, So I don't know, Kote, I know you've spent a lot of time writing. How do you do it? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the, I mean, you know, what about once every year I try to like restart my newsletter and then I'm just like, uh, whatever, like I, I uh, give up on it. So on on that topic, but I think, I think uh, uh, what you're getting at there is, I was talking about with this someone earlier, talking about this with someone earlier today, which is, it is, it is, there's some calibration you have to have between marketing and 
developer relations when it comes to like how attached it is to a person or a personality and and like mm, like it's it's vaguely uncomfortable to like talk about it if you are in developer relations because you sound like oh la dee da look at me i'm a fancy person but like on the other hand I, i i'm running as i'm talking like i think all the great sort of like to broaden it evangelist types are all like people and not entities not not like groups right so like you know the the memorable newsletters that you read come from a person or like the memorable i think a lot of the memorable memorable ideas that you have like come from a person like it feels like all of the the sort of uh influential people who have driven like technology choices i mean i've kind of totalized it by saying people but the 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 drivers have always been just like people doing the things and so like maybe that's that's like that's a very hard thing to kind of like get across to uh some people because it seems like you know like you're saying like yeah we write a newsletter here we write a newsletter there who cares right like and also we can have the really cool like correct corporate font (laughs) and, and like all of that design but there is something like you know back to the semiotics or whatever but I think it's someone, it, it, I like, know, just, like you can sort of eyeball when something when something is from a person and therefore you trust it more versus when it's like very polished and finished, right? I mean, especially if you've got like a camera coming down on a glass stage and someone has their hands, you know, steepled, <laughs> and there's been like you know, it's it's seven a.m. in the morning and there's like that band in Las Vegas that like is neon under a black light, like that that feels a little. Uh, not like traditional developers. Right. Relations. But I, I guess, you know, I, the part I, I would go further, it's almost like Substack or something along those lines. Like, you know, so if I was sort of, if you just said I can be in charge, like I would tell the DevRel, if I had some DevRel team, I said, hey, somebody's really strong on the content side. I, w- I would tell them like, hey, you're going to write the newsletter once a week. Once a week, you got to write this. This is your deliverable. And, yeah. you know, I may own, like the company may ultimately own the list, right? But we're going to do it in a way that is sort of like you write it, you get it out. We're going to own the list and kind of like a columnist almost, right? It's like you are the hired columnist and you have this role and that is your job. And I expect you to have the voice. And then when you leave, you know, I may say, hey, I'm going to keep the list. And of course, you will have built up your own reputation then. And But I may, the, the next newsletter after you, if you were on this metaphor, you would have left. I would have sort of introduced the new columnist, right? And of course, that would take over. Maybe some people would unsubscribe or that new person would take on a different voice. But, but just the idea that you're committing all the time to like, you know, like I have a, I've hired someone with a, a really good voice and a good writing acumen, and that's what I want them to do. And I just, you know, that seems to be much better than the generic newsletter. It's like, who wants to write the an entry this month, right? It just feels like that's sort of the kind of stuff that becomes, I don't want to say scam, yeah. but it's just low, low value. Right. So, so another thing, uh, uh, and I, and I think you're right. There's some pretty, the collection of metrics are pretty good. And I, you know, Another thing that's that's nice about it, I mean, we'll just give this full authority to make statements, is like, yeah, you know, you should use your YouTube and Twitter followers. Like, don't blow them off. <laughs> don't blow that off as like smarmy or whatever, right? Like, it's easy to kind of like uh, blow that stuff off. Now, I, for- I forget if he mentions it, but like, as I have delved a lot more into uh, metric-y stuff, I'm, I'm, I... I, I figured out that I'm building up, I don't know if this is helpful, but some reputation is like doing metrics around here. But like, you know, when I look in YouTube nowadays, I look at, I treat like total number of views and like average duration watched as like the same value, right? And so that's, I mean, you know, you can, 
that's that's the one thing that I that when it comes to something like YouTube stuff that that I'm more interested in than just total like whatever, even subscribers, right? Is like if I post a 20 minute video, how many people watched 15 seconds versus all of it is uh, you know nice. But anyways, the other thing, and I was trying to find like the quote where he says this, but when I read this, what what I remember uh, reading is basically there was this aside that I think more or less said, well, I, I don't know why it starts well, but it was saying one one type of, one uh, function that developer relations has, uh, often why they're called advocates, is to advocate for the developers back to product. And I feel like there was an aside that basically said, yeah, that never really happens. <laughs> because, <laughs> yeah, that's what he said. You know, and I have to say. Because, because, well, because the product people, they don't want to listen. Or I should, that, I'm putting that in a snarky way. Just because like, because various reasons, right? Like it just doesn't work out uh, that, that that really becomes a thing, which um, I, 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 feel like, I feel like that's accurate. Yeah, no, it I is like accurate. Yeah. I'm going to go even further. I'm just going to go even further and be like, and I think this, that part was great. I really felt, I mean, I was mm-hmm. just really relating to this article when he wrote that. Um, and it's like, yeah, like if, if that's what you want to be able to do, like you just, you need to get a job in product management, right? Just the yeah, idea yeah, that yeah. like, that's the bottom line. It's like the idea, like, I, I wouldn't even say, that shouldn't even be an aspiration anymore of like Deborah. The fact that you're thinking, yeah. like, oh, we're going to do all this and we're going to bring it back. It's like, no, if that's what you want to do, go get a job in product management and like yeah. do that and then make that your focus in product management. And you'll probably learn a little bit why it's harder than you think. But, but absolutely do not go into DevRel thinking, oh, I'm going to be, you know, really driving the roadmap and doing all this stuff. It's like, it, it never works. It no, just no. never yeah. works. You're, yeah, you're, you're I, definitely I, not driving a roadmap. You're, you're going to be like, hey, do you need some anecdotes? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> do you need someone to open bug reports? I guess. Yeah, and, and I mean, especially the lo- the more people in your company, right? Like you, I, I can, I, I think, I think you would know. I mean, definitely Matt and 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 Brandon as well, better than I would. But like, I feel like the larger the company, at some point, I don't know, maybe when they're probably even as fifty people in the company. Uh, that like, like just whatever it is a, a DevRel person is doing versus like the schedule of product. And by that, I mean product managers or, and, and developers deciding what goes in there is just unhelpfully all out of whack. Like essentially anything that a developer relations person hears, like more or less at any point that they're going to stop and interrupt product and suggest something to them, the product people are probably going to be like, yeah, cool story, bro. <laughs> right? Like, like we we got a bunch of shit going on over here. We don't have time to like uh, just suddenly like take your input. Well, like out of the blue. Yeah, I mean, hopefully that feedback is already known. It's called tech debt, right? You know, the product people have already <laughs> right, right, right. they've already got a roadmap, and they're like. Yeah, stuff's broken, but you know what? We kept on moving. Yeah. And you're like, yeah. but the customers are complaining about this, and you know, the users are saying this, and it's like, cool story, bro. But uh, so I, I like I, I like the edit you're you're more or less saying, Brandon, which is like, let's summarize this section by saying it doesn't exist, right? Like this <laughs> yeah. this whole notion. Like just well, like this let's, is the author. Let's, he writes just, it. The, he wrote it yeah. perfectly. I couldn't have said it. I was just sort of like nodding my head in massive agreement. Yeah. So it's like. Yeah. That's really good. But I do think the other one now, when you get beyond the content side, I think on the community, so kind of building communities, is Matt, yeah, is probably yeah. your area you want to talk more about. But like, I thought this was pretty good too about, you know, I, I like some of these metrics. They were pretty simple, but they felt good to me. It's sort of like how many people are joining your Slack or your Discord, right? That seemed to make a lot of sense. Uh, and then how many, you know, 
some type of commits or uh, some types of contributions that seemed really important too. So uh, I thought, I don't know. I thought those were pretty simple, but I also thought to myself, I don't know. He, he had a couple ones in there. I thought were a little vague it was like how many super users. And it's like, well, what does that mean? Right. Um, yeah, yeah. But, but I do think at the end of the day, those, those see, those feel right. Just how many people are kind of in Slack for back, lack of a better thing. It just, it does give you a really nice way to quantify, like not only are there a lot of people in the Slack, but are there, are there like lots of conversations happening? Cause if that's going on, then, then yeah, you have a pretty good developer type following. So pretty yeah. simple, but I like those. I don't know, Matt, you've done this a lot more like those, hate those. What are your thoughts? Uh, I mean, yeah, you have to start somewhere and, and those seem like they're all battle tested, you know, provably good uh, starter positions. I mean, you know, if you're going into this cold, yeah, start here. I mean, this is a great article for that. If, uh, you know, and then of course, how your community works or doesn't work will, you know, uh, you'll, uh, you know, reassess and adjust as you go. But yeah, well, I, you know, I think, I think it's, uh, it, it may seem a little niche, but I think, I think for the listeners out there, who I assume are interested in enterprise infrastructure, uh, platform software stuff, uh, you know, all, all these all these developer relations people are probably a big part of your life. So it's fun to uh, stare into what they're doing. And the last thing I want to I want to mention on that is uh, it was also a good reminder about when people traveled and how nice events were and how uh, <laughs> I almost I almost feel like it's been so long that like I think us in the DevRel community might have forgotten. Like we're starting to lose touch. It's kind of like it's kind of like when you don't eat something for a long time and you don't really remember what it tasted like or, or what to do. And I don't know if if we have to go another year for this. I think we're just going to be like I don't know conferences, events. Do those really work? Like we're not going to have the uh, the the intuition for it. Today's show is sponsored by Postlight. Postlight is a strategy design and engineering firm, and they want you to subscribe to their podcast. The show is hosted by Postlight co-founders Rich Ziade and Paul Ford, and you may remember Paul from his famous Bloomberg article, What is Code? The Postlight podcast is a weekly no BS conversation about what's happening in tech, business, ethics, and culture. A few of the recent guests include Clay Shirky, product discovery coach Teresa Torres, and a software-defined talk favorite, chief cloud economist Corey Quinn. The show touches on topics like power of naming your initiatives, agency product management, programming in Python, and creating more efficient meetings. Plus, there's plenty of other discussion on everything from parenting to living in New York City. New episodes every Tuesday, available wherever you get your podcast. For more information to see all the episodes, visit postlight.com slash podcast. So I'd like to ask all of you to search Postlight in your podcast player right now and give it a listen. And of course, we thank Postlight for sponsoring our show. All right, I haven't mentioned it recently, but uh, you know our, our old our old buddies at the at the cube. Uh, I think I think they somewhere in Twitter they they mentioned this. Now I didn't go to look at the primary sources, the video, because I you know it's only forty four seconds, so I think you can summarize forty four seconds in a tweet. But it looks like Scott McNeely, who you know for the people who are not in their forties uh, who are listening. Scott McNeely was one of the founders. He was a founder, right? And CEO and CEO of Sun Microsystems. Now, Sun Microsystems, for those people who are not in their 30s, that was a a company that made really cool hardware, all sorts of, uh, you know, hardware that was very popular in the late 2000s that ran on something called Solaris, which is a Unix variant. And they uh, they came up with Java, which is a programming language. Uh, All these things are still around. (laughs) 
I know, I know. You can't escape and, uh, the Enterprise. <laughs> and uh, you know, they they were they were what I would call kind of a big deal uh, for a while there. And I think I didn't I didn't see uh, Scott saying it. Have I ever told the story about when I, I I had like the biggest analyst dumb shit thing to say when Scott popped into a room at some point that that I was in? No, I tell should, us. I, I should go over that at some point. Remind me, and I'll I'll uh, maybe well, that'd be a good some how after about show now? content. <laughs> well, anyways, uh, like it looked like he he said uh, we should have just called what we were doing cloud, which um, you know I don't think he's wrong. I think I think you know that that would have been. I don't know if that would have made them successful, but I think it would have been a valid application of the word. The word because they did have. I think you were there at the time, uh, right, Brandon? I was. But, yeah, absolutely. But mm-hmm. they did have something called Network dot com, mm-hmm. which was. It took me a little while to figure this out, but I think it was basically an HPC, uh, which is um, what does the H in HPC stand for? High, High performance computing. It was basically like. Before the idea of uh, Hadoop was around and uh, bigger cloud things, it was like if you needed to do a bunch of parallel processing that was very fast, high performance, uh, then you would uh, spend a lot of money on HPC stuff. I remember the University of Texas was always like, check out our HPC. Check out our Ranger. We named it after some cowboy shit, uh, which is as as you do. As Um, you do. and uh, yeah, so they, I think Network.com was, was a big batch job HPC thing. And I remember them talking about how it would be awesome to run it in Siberia because you would have to spend less money cooling it, yeah, uh, yeah. Which, which was some fun talk. But it, it does, it, it all, it, yeah, I mean, I, mean I, I like this. I like this idea. We should, let's explore this idea. Of running if, in Siberia? Well, Now's it, not a good time for that. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> if, if, if Sun had jumped on this like, well, well they, now, now, if, if Sun had jumped on this cloud thing, now this would be a second uh, vocabulary, uh, cho- a second major thing that they should have done. The first one is they should have adopted Linux in like 2000, which I think was also said. But yeah, yeah. this would be the second thing is like we should have like when EC2 came out, was that 2005? I think Sun was still around then. Like we should have like there's something we should have done there. We needed the six-page memo and Ben Black and those people <laughs> right. to like a write lot of this it, thing. Though, a lot of it's revi- – I was there during this period. So a lot of it is a little bit revisionist history. So there was this thing called like the Sun Grid or the Sun wow. Grid engine, right? Which yeah, was, that's I mean, right. kind of uh, – it really was, I guess, you know, a precursor to like infrastructure as a service. I mean it wasn't a hun- – it wasn't exactly the same. But I mean, it was like it was something you could run. At one point, you could like put up a generalized. It was basically just run your own workloads in the grid engine. So it was there. And then the other yeah. thing that Sun did, and like everybody had done, you know, before containers, right? Uh, Slayers had zones, and then I think BSD had jails. And so, like a lot of the pieces were sitting right there. But I do think the revisionist history just to sort of like they did launch it, right? And I, I don't. Yeah. Okay, yeah, you could have called it. You could have called it cloud, but like grid was pretty. Like huh. Grid was a grid, pretty good. Grid was what people were thinking at the time. Yeah, right? and it's like, and that's what people were thinking about, and people did know about it. It was like, okay, that's interesting, and um, so it wasn't and, like, you know, I, I guess it's, let me just summarize it this way: it's like having a good idea at the wrong time is still being wrong. Right, you know? but, just, but, but it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't help you any better? Well, right? but but, were, but you're doing. you're you're adding even more, Brandon, which is like they did do it. Right, like, yeah. like, and and I, I kind of forgotten about that. And, and we worked at a place that had a grid computing, right, Matt Ray? Yeah, I think we did. Uh, for for like, was that three months or something? I forget how long <laughs> that lasted. It was a little bit longer than that, but that was like 1999, right? And, oh yeah, uh, or 2000, 2001. And but the thing was, like, weren't Sun 
Sun was the one going around talking about the network is the computer, right? Yeah. And yeah. So they were, all, they, were already on, yeah, they were already yeah. on that track. You know, it's just the world wasn't ready for that, right? And yeah. and it, it took, you know, it took a bookseller to convince people that, uh, you know, we should put all our stuff, you know, on somebody mm. else's data center. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was, uh, I mean, that, that is the, the, the common thing people say about Sun is it was just too soon. But I think, you know, part of it is just like how it's like playing any other game, like almost like a video game. It's like the most important video game is just to like stay alive, just like, you know, just keep playing. And I think the in the case of Sun, like if the, you know, really the it's, it's less it's the hardware side of it, you know, the spark, right, got attacked and really lost money so yeah. fast that that was the real cash cow. So but if you were to say maybe a spark had lasted, say, five more years, so just give the company five more years of runway. That Sun probably yeah. would, could have had a like a well positioned thing. Like they are the kind of company that could have said, okay, we kind of messed up on Linux, but we're going to adopt that, and we already have this kind of network mantra, and we already have this grid utility, and we could probably you know quickly pivot to infrastructure as a service. But you know, being there was just like, hey, the company was losing so much money, and this was famously when they did like the red shift, blue shift, and should everything be open source? Because it was just you know trying to find a strategy that would make money, and ultimately. There was no, I mean, and, and I, you know, this is the kind of thing people don't like to hear, but it's like when your uh, cash cow gets attacked and is under major, major, um, yeah. you know, a, a competition from everywhere, in this case, Spark, there's very little you're going to do. Like if someone overnight yeah. were to like invent a better advertising platform than search-based ads, that would be very hard for Google to like quickly come up with another solution, right? And I don't think that's going to happen, but that was sort of like at Sun at the time, I think people felt like, oh, the Spark's great it's just going to continue on but clearly you know that was not the case yeah no i i, I think that's absolutely <laughs> it right like like their 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 cash flow was just fucked and and then like the uh i was thinking about this earlier today i mean this is i don't know if it's cynical or real but like at some point when you're a public company all this is back to your story not yours but the story thing you referenced brandon like all you're really managing is making sure that quarter to quarter the financial analyst are happy with their model, right? And and you're basically trying to manage like the model that financial analysts are building. So it matches what results that you get. And whether that's like, you know, building up the expectations and signaling correctly and kind of explaining your business and having them buy into the story of how it is, like, because that seems to be like over and over again, right? Like you'll you'll have these companies that report like, you know, growth in the earnings and then the analysts are like, oh, it didn't meet expectations. And then everything everything tanks, right? And so that just means that, like, I don't know, the the uh, the model that of, of the predictions didn't really match what, what actually happened. So you've really got to spend a lot of time, like, managing what those expectations are. Yeah, and, and to your point, like, we talked about, I think, uh, a couple of episodes again, you know, my favorite definition of valuation is just, you know, the current number plus a story. And the problem exactly. being at Sun at the time was – the story, there wasn't a good story and it kept changing, right? It would be like, mm-hmm. we're going to be a software company. We're going to be open source. We're going to, no, we're not going to be open source. We're going to do Solaris, Solaris x86. So the, this is to your point, like once that financial analysts hear that enough, your valuation comes way, way down. And in this case, right, they ultimately got bought by Oracle for, you know, I think it was only $5 billion. After almost being, I mean, at one point, Sun, and this is going back to your, your history. It's like Cisco and Sun, people forget about it. But like those yeah. were like, Cisco was almost a first trillion dollar company like way back in the 2000s yeah. and sun was i don't know hundreds of billions again in the 2000s and so if you think about how far it came down before it was sold it's like in the end it just you know ran out of runway but 
Oh, but I always say like, <laughs> when I look back on that, it's like so many of those people though, just like literally just drove like down, down the street in California, like went to Google. And so much of that technology I think did become like Borg and uh, all, yep. all of that stuff. Uh, a lot of those, those people and all, all of, you know, all that Java stuff and everything, you know, really went to some, some large companies today. So in some ways it's sort of like the alumni lived on and a lot of the ideas lived on in these, you know, very successful companies today. Oh, son. I'll always, it's always, uh, like I haven't thought about them in a while. Now it's going to be hard to get them out of my mind again. I, I find that I find it fascinating, but you know, I think, I think the ultimate, if I, if I was, uh, to give a little spoiler for my, uh, my recommendation, I think if Chuck Klosterman was writing my book, son, WTF, the end would be like, you know, he'd say it in his high pitched voice. And the ultimate symbol of what happened is that now the company that is housed in the former Sun campus is Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just uh, sort of the, the wrap up. Of, yeah, there uh, is some trivia, I guess, that, you know, that campus, I guess they kept the they reversed the sign or repainted the sign, but they kept the Sun logo on the back of the Facebook Really? Signed, so they really? as a as a method of like reminding themselves that uh, the uh, you know you're never uh, you know don't strong companies on you <laughs> yeah big companies can often falter right and wow so, I, I I hope so I hope that's little, beyond little uh, I, I hope that's on the right side of security because next time I'm I'm over there I should go take a picture with that that would be awesome yeah yeah you just gotta go it's just it's just on the back though you gotta like that's that's oh the, right 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 yeah. that's that's what we need our listeners to do is send us in some selfies of yeah you. in front of that ne- I'm sure yeah somebody's ne- ne- done it never mind the Facebook thing I want to see the old Sun one. Is, is uh, that, the that the sun great. the sun campus in uh, in Austin? That's is that Apple's headquarters? It's Oracle's. Oracle's. It's still okay. Oracle, they, they but it's across the Apple. Apple's across, Apple's the, across street, the street. So. Yeah. 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 And that I haven't been to that part of town in forever. I remember that being one of those parts of Austin where it was like I, I was born here and lived here all my life, and I've never seen this part of town. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck this is. <laughs> yeah. No. It's definitely. Uh... <laughs> like a strange area well do we have any bureaucracy this week brandon oh yes we do we've got uh several things first of all if as always if you want stickers just send your postal address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com and i will be happy to send you a sticker anywhere in the world like i did for nicholas this weekend he uh is in charlotte so appreciate him writing in also we got a couple other things just kind of on topics one turns out cote Someone else in the world also likes trackballs other than Matt Ray. It's Craig. Craig says he likes the mouse trackballs that you use too, Matt Ray. So uh, there's a market of two. The TAM is now two. That's yeah. it. It's rare that you can count the exact TAM of everything, but there you have it. Hey, clearly, uh, call that, clearly uh, there's I, a real market. I mean, they're, they're still making them 15 years later. You know? I, I, think, I, think in, I think in strategy, they call that the two TAM. So <laughs> That's we, right. We, it's a TAM of two. Maybe a two TAM. Um, Oh, hey. hey, that's good. Also, I wanted to uh, promote uh, uh, the cl- uh, the Cloudcast, of course, done by our good friend uh, Brian Gracely. So he had a whole uh, one of his Sunday conversation episodes called the Kubernetes Developer Experience, where uh, he mentioned Software Defined Talk a couple of times, which is great. But Kote kind of answers some of your questions, kind of like, why did Kubernetes succeed if it doesn't really have a good developer experience? So yeah. um, he had written some stuff in Slack, but I think his episode, so it's even better. If you want to hear his whole response, which I think is excellent. He has lots of good ideas. One thing that I left with was you know, his idea about 
Um, you know, really maybe you don't need different developer experiences for each kind of language, each thing you're doing, right? Mm. So that's sort of like maybe Kubernetes. That's fun. So he kind of teases that out. So if you want to hear someone answer that question or kind of like give you, and Brian has a lot of experience with Kubernetes, you just listen to the whole episode. It's really, really good. Yeah, um, yeah. fun to hear. So, so I, I, I have that one queued up. I haven't listened to it, but I have to say, I've really been enjoying his, uh, his Sunday monologues. I think they're great. They're, it's, uh, it's <laughs> Shocking. Cote loves a monologue. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, um, we've been talking about it, and I've, I mentioned it last time, but I want to mention it again. If you'd like to be uh, eventually invited to a software-defined talk meetup, you know, we're going to do some meetups, probably virtually and maybe you know, in person, depending on how, how the things are going in the world. Uh, just sign up. If you go right now to the show notes, just go to uh, – there's a link right there. So if you just put in your information, I'll add you to the list. And you know, as we do things either virtually or we do things kind of in an – specific geographic areas i'll uh, we'll send it out and you know maybe we can all see each other in person or if not in person maybe we can at least get together online you know what we should do brandon is we should do one of my nutella tastings i, I don't know like it Count might have to out. be like it might have to be like buy your own stuff situation but like we'll go through and uh instead of a sommelier you'll have me going through like uh, a journey of trying nutella on things and uh <laughs> I, that that might be fun to uh, to go through. Well, what, what's an anti Somalia? I'll be like, now you're going to ruin this with Nutella. Now you're going <laughs> yeah. to ruin that with Nutella. I like it. That sounds like our first ever kid friendly event too. It feels like you bring the kids. Sure, uh, we'll, we'll put Nutella on anything. Why not? I don't know. I don't know if I'll be able to not, uh, as they say in the fantastic Mr. Fox, cuss. Like that. That might be hard. That's true. Maybe we'll just give a parental warning. It'll be like PG thirteen. Whatever. I, I, you know, I, I, I'm a professional. I can moderate myself well if it's marked for kids, uh, <laughs> especially in, in, in front of children. Yeah, you're yeah, not Australian. <laughs> although I, I had, I had to explain to to one of my kids this morning that although the phrase "turd knocker" is delightful, <laughs> make sure not to say that at school. Uh, and, and, and the child that I was talking about this was, she was like, I, I guess I give, I've given it away. Uh, she was like, oh yes, I know, I know. And I said, cause you know, sometimes people don't like that. And then, and then I said, as we were biking together and what would you call those people? And I pointed at her and right on cue, she was like, turd knocker. So <laughs> you've taught them so well. You've yes. Them so well. My, 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 my father kids, would be proud. Yes. My kids always like, what was that? He said, son of a beagle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> One of the better phrases. Well, uh, speaking of uh, remembering conferences, there are several of them coming up. One of the ones that I'm most excited about is uh, one of my teammates, Layla, and a whole bunch of other people have worked on putting together the .NET Beyond Conference, which is March 30th and 31st. It's all totally free, and I think it's, uh, I think it's being broadcast on Twitch. Uh, I'm going to be emceeing some parts of it. MCing is the best job because you're just like, hey, we got someone else coming up. See you later. Uh, you know, with a few more words. Uh, but yeah, it'll be a great conference. So uh, if you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 347, you can check out the .NET Beyond conference. Also, in May, uh, it was rescheduled to the 23rd to 26th. There's that conference. We've got all sorts of discounts depending on what you want. Uh, if you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 347, there's also a lot of CFPs open. There's one for that conference in Wisconsin. If you're into, uh, it's in July, so there won't be any snow. But you know, I guess they have cheese. I don't really know the deal with that. And uh, also Birmingham DevOps Days, Birmingham, Alabama, not England. I think they have theirs open now. I think the uh, CFP for DevOps Days Austin is closed. They asked me to come talk since I spoke at the original one and other ones, so I I should be there. 
unless, you know, I don't know, some disease or virus happens or something. Uh, but that will be May 4th to 5th. It'll be great to uh, be back in Austin and see all that group. I haven't seen them in a while. And there's a CFP for DevOps Day Chicago. There's a Splunk conference coming up in June. But the conference you should really pay attention to is uh, Spring One Platform is going to be in San Francisco, December 6th to 8th. My boss was just there checking out the Moscone West, see how things are going. Boy, it'll be fun to be there and see what they, they have going on there in the old San Francisco. I haven't been there forever. So uh, if you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 347, you can uh, check all of those out. You should register for them, submit papers, or whatever you like. Now with that, Matt Ray, what do you have to recommend this episode? Uh, my recommendation this week is an audiobook. Uh if you uh, read or saw the movie The Martian, uh, the author Andy Weir has a, I don't think it's new, but it's new to me. So uh, a book called Hail Mary. Brandon, have you already recommended this one? I I didn't want to step on you. I have read it. I didn't, this one, I didn't like it as much as the other uh, Well, I haven't did. finished. No, I, got, I, 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 I was I, not as a big a fan. So, I, I could see But how, I did read it. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think the audiobook would probably be better than the book. Um, no, I did just, the whole audiobook. I guess okay. just, to, just to completely destroy that recommendation, <laughs> be like, listen, I read, listen to the whole thing. I just thought it was okay. I didn't. I, think I haven't it finished was... it yet. I, I've got about an hour and a half left. So I, I, I will say, I think it starts strong, and then toward the end, it sort of tailored out a little bit. Yeah, for yeah. Me, well, for me too. I, I think if you like the Martian, you probably like this. Is is oh, that's probably true. That yeah. So true. Um, anyway, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. I think the voice actors uh, pr- pretty sharp, and. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's nice to take a break from uh, the constant uh, tech podcasts and 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 the like, uh, and listen to an audiobook now and then. So, uh, it's you know, nineteen hours, but whatever. Um, I'm enjoying it. Don't listen to Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, I'm just gonna say I want to like I want to be like I'm neutral on it. I think okay, like, yeah, I like the premise. It started quick. There was some interesting stuff, but then kind of like to your point, kind of like The Martian. It's like I get it. He's on Mars. He has to do a lot. Like I like I just felt yes. like there's a point where it's like I get it. I get it. There's, I get it. Yes. I, 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 he's I, smart. He comes up with innovative solutions, and it's just like there's. I just wears me out. But some people love it. If you that's yeah. what you liked, you gave I, the best. Like if you like the Martian, you're gonna love this book. I, I, I like, did eh. tell my wife. I was like, is this guy a one trick pony? <laughs> Yeah, I was a little bit. Well, it's kind of when you're watching that movie. Hopefully, we're not ruining the Martian, but it's like you know, I don't know. Matt, da- Matt Damon, not that important to me. Like it's okay. Maybe we, hey, we just you know, he didn't. Maybe. He's not going to make it home. Maybe he didn't make it home. Maybe, maybe we need more gravestones on Mars. <laughs> so, anyway, all right, all right. Well, uh, uh, well, you know, you know. Let me ask a little interstitial here. I tried to read that Neil Stevenson book and Anantha or whatever it's called. Uh, yeah, I haven't read that one yet. Yeah, and I was just reading, and I was like, "Eh, fuck this shit." And so, like, I want to know, like, is, is this I've one heard of those people, books? I've heard people have that reaction to that book. Is, too. is this one of those books that I need to put on that pile for, like, you know, when I am uh, in this mythical retirement, and I'm just like, "Well, I, I need to read through like two meters worth of books a year because what the fuck else am I doing? Like, do I need to put it on that pile because like I need to invest the time in it and it'll be fun? But like, this is this is the feedback that I need to know because like I feel like it would be a great sort of premiere TV miniseries. Yeah. Like, I have that sense. But, like, I just, like, I don't know. I don't want to, like, if, uh, there's, something, there's something off with it. And, and like, I, I don't know what's up with that book. It's, it's annoying. Now, 
Now, Brandon, what do you have to recommend this week? <laughs> well, so many things. I don't I feel like we're just going into the anti-recommendation. I don't know. Just some hot takes here. One, I don't, Neil Stevenson, not, I'm not sure he's, I think too much hype. I'm not, you know, oh, no. I don't, I, I'm just, again, I know people aren't going to like that. I'm like, ah, so yes, I would put that on the bookshelf, right? I would just be like, yeah, you know, all right, all right, Stephen right. King also. No, I don't. I don't so, quite so he, see. He, I don't quite see why everyone is just a, just people love it so much. I'm like, yeah. Every time I'm in it, I'm I, like, I think yeah, I, I, don't I think, think this both those authors here. when they hit, they hit really hard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think I think you're right. And and I, I like I like I'm going to use your thing, uh, Brandon. It's that is this a book that I need to put on the bookshelf for later or just get the fuck rid of, right? <laughs> like, and and I think I feel like I feel I think you're exactly right. I think Stephen King books, except. You know, there's a few of them that I've read where I'm just like, I read them in like two days. Like, they're yeah, so good. Exactly. I, I think I think maybe this Ananthemum or whatever book and a lot of Stephen King books, so they go on the book, the bookshelf. Right? Yeah. And, and maybe you just gave the right thing. Like, if you read the Stephen King book and you find yourself not just like kind of cons- consuming it in just a couple of days, it's probably one you can just put down. You're like, this yeah. isn't so good. So, I, I, I mean, um, some of them are like, you know, some of them are Pet Cemetery, and some of them are The Shining. Right. And... <laughs> Yeah, that that's the way I feel about Stevenson is like, you know, sometimes his books are like, you know, I can't stop reading them. And then others I'm like, well, at least it's over. (laughs) It's true. I guess, you know, part of this is revealing that like once I kind of start, especially an audiobook, I just feel compelled to finish it. So sometimes there's like some bitterness in me. And like, I know I didn't like this book and I you made me finish it. Neil Stevenson, you it's your fault. But But, I could have I could have I know I could have stopped, but I can't stop. But some of his books I just love. That's the problem. I yeah, agree. Yeah. Like there is, there is. It's like you just need to go into it. Like go into it with that moment. Like if you're not feeling the love, put it away. I can't do it. So I'm, I'm oh, sort I, of like I, I just. Can't do it either. I, I, I don't have the either. the gene. I can't just like let it go. So yeah. uh, maybe we should have an episode uh, one day of like the absolute worst bo- books we've ever completed. So we'll just leave that out there. I've got a <laughs> that's few. That's good. Uh, that's a lot. I've got a, I've got a few that I, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm locked and loaded on that hot take. All right. Anyway, let me just give you my quick uh, recommendation. So I'm um, trying out this new uh, email client. I, I'm a, I guess I'm a fan of like when an Apple developer leaves Apple and decides to build a specific app. I just I'm sort of a sucker for those types of apps. I always like it. So it's called uh, I think it's called what MimeStream. It's basically a native Mac OS email client just for Gmail. It does just Gmail, but it has all the nice if you will, Mac OS goodness, and it's built by a former Apple developer. And so it's just in beta. So if you're interested in trying something out, but I think early, my early recommendation is I like it. I just like this very minimal Gmail client on my uh, Mm. desktop. So if you, if you want to give it a shot, try it out. All right. Well, my recommendation, uh, I I did a little spoiler. There is this book. I I have never encountered uh, Chuck Klosterman. I don't know if I'm saying his name right now. He wrote for uh, that, that like uh, already sports thing. So do you on the Grantland or something? Was yeah. That, was that a thing? Famously Grantland, and he's on the Bill Simmons podcast quite a bit, talking about yeah, pop culture yeah. and sports and basketball. So, so, so I, I, I'd never heard of him, but I heard him in the uh, the Tyler Cohen uh, podcast. They interviewed him, which is a great episode. Uh, it's, it's, it's a fun one. And, uh, you know, so, so what, what, what Chuck here does that many people don't take advantage of when they're on any conversation with someone, but especially that podcast is they 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 turn the thing around and they ask Tyler a question uh, that he just goes off on right. That's a that's a rare treat when a guest like asks him a question that he gives a, a fun answer on. So, anyways, so he uh, obviously 
as with most podcasts like that, he's on a book tour. That's why he's on the podcast. And so I read the book he was talking about called The 90s, which is spelled out instead of being the numbers. Now, I feel like, and you two may be in the same boat, but I feel like this book was written for me, right? It's basically written for Gen X people who uh, lived in the 90s. And it's like fantastic. It's like great. It's, it's, a, it's a very good book. I, I read and listened to it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a good, uh, there's a lot of stuff I forgot about, uh, that I, I think it's not only, I mean, it's definitely not a history, but it's almost done in the style of, uh, how do you say that guy's name? Halberstan, the guy who wrote like the fifties and the sixties and the seventies. And it kind of has that same format and it is more or less one of those books built out of like, um, getting um what's that thing that has a gun that spits out like a uh, gunk that you put between tiles like whatever that's called but like <laughs> you know it, it's it's basically a bunch of articles that are just like spackled together with with uh that that thing you know it's got it's like a big Talking it's got it, yeah. yeah a cock that's right they, they got different names for that in other countries but like it's just a big cocking gun of a bunch of articles but still it's fine it's uh it's good reading so you should uh you know I think it's worth checking out. And I started reading, uh, listening to some of his other books. And the style that he has in his 2003 book about, like, Cocoa Puffs and something else is, like, a very, um, I mean, given the time that it was written so long ago, it's odd to say it, but it's a total Matt Levine ripoff, the way that he writes, <laughs> so, so to speak, right? Written like before Matt Le- Levine. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I mean, I mean it's got, it, it has lots of like and... I don't know and whatever is like uh-huh. it's it's like Matt Levine's style and the style in this book identical except they write about very different things. So it's uh, if you like Matt Levine, I think you'll like this guy. Uh, so with that, as always, this has been Software Defined Talk. This is episode number three hundred forty-seven. We're almost up to a full year of podcasts. Soon we'll be there. Uh, being 365 days, uh, as, as you may recall. And uh, you can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 347. We've got a fantastic Slack community uh, that discusses all sorts of things during the week that we talk about and don't talk about. And uh, I don't know. With that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Is Tyler Cohen, like, the most, like, I feel like his brain, the way that he asks questions, like, he's, like, the most robotic speaker not robotic like in a good way like not like boring but like he seems to have like perfectly articulated questions perfectly formulated at any given moment and there's like not even a stutter in his the way that he'll just be he'll just transition from like a scientific theory to like a 19th century french literature right and you're like i just i I mean i just like do you notice that or is that just me no that that's it i don't i don't know like like he he, he does that he had one of the rare things where, like, someone asked him about his production method. And I think, I mean, other than just being able to do it, I think he also just, like, does a lot of prep work, right? And uh, so, yeah, that's, uh, you know. Well, I'm always wondering. I, have to go, I haven't heard this episode yet, so I have to go check it. Because Klosterman is, like, he seems to be, like, all over the place, like, just, like, kind of talking. Why? So I just, I'm interested. Maybe I'll listen to it here. Yeah, right yeah. No, no. Like, it feels like a contrasting style. Like, I don't know. Like, what do you get when you get claustrophobic? <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, together, right? it's, it's great. And part of the charm is like, if you've listened to like, you know, Tyler Cohen enough, like, you know, you kind of like, at least what you hear, you get, you understand this personality, wh- whether it's actually him or whatever. I don't know why I'm disclaiming, but like, you can tell by the way the conversation is going that like Tyler is like loving it. Like you can tell he's just like, this is the fucking shit. 
right? Like he's <laughs> he's all into it, which he doesn't always happen with his guests, right? But the two of them like fit together extremely well. Well, I don't know. Like the the one that's funny is like I think it must be really intimidating. I would be intimidated if I went on that show, right? Because I think he brings his questions are just so like quick and like thought thoughtful but like yeah it doesn't yeah. seem like people do enough of like you know asking him back like kind of like trying to engage him exactly. back on the subject because like he'll sort of like it's almost like he has like some kind of rule of engagement like if you don't engage him back he's just going to come at you with like science literature popular events right but if you come back with him because a couple of people do it and it's like wow that's when it gets interesting you're like whoa yeah, this yeah, is, yeah. This no is no you, you you can you can tell what he wants like I don't know if he's he's ever written. Well, he has written about this, but I don't know what his take on himself is. But he seems to always be thinking like I might be slightly autistic, like that, like like Tyler Cohen. I mean, he wrote a book about this, if I remember. And so I think like that's what he's always going for is like that conversation. And so yeah, I mean, like you said, when it happens, the the show like takes on this whole other dimension of of fun. Who is ringing the doorbell?